and welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. Oh, I'm glad you're with me. I've come down with trichelomyitis. If you strangled me with the idea that you missed this week's show, spend wisely as you buy. Let's talk procurement. Odds are you can save big if you shop smartly. Consolidation, group purchasing organizations, negotiating, payment terms, warranty terms. These will all save you money. Kumar Kunin from Procural LLC educates us. On Tony's Take Two, I'm grateful. It's a big pleasure to welcome Kumar Kunin to Nonprofit Radio. He is principal of Procural LLC. He has 30 years of global leadership experience in sourcing and procurement. He spent 16 years at Owens Corning, where he managed an annual spend of $900 million in categories such as IT, marketing, HR, and finance. Kumar also led IT sourcing at American Airlines for eight years. The company is at ProcuralServices.com, and he's Kunnan, K-A-N-N-A-N, at ProcuralServices.com. Kumar, welcome to Nonprofit Radio. Thank you, Tony. Very happy to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. So let's talk procurement. Uh, you've, you've, uh, you've spent a lot of money over 30 years. Uh, and, and, but I see it's it's your job to spend other people's money wisely, wisely, right? Carefully, exactly. thoughtfully. Exactly. All right. So what do you think generally, because we have plenty of time together, just high level, what, what do you think nonprofits could be uh, smarter about uh, buying wise? I think I'll speak generally to that, Tony. Um Companies tend to um, not place, in my view, as much focus on sourcing and procuring smartly as they could. Uh, often it's an off- afterthought. Uh, I think in many companies uh, and, and nonprofits included in that, their core business is their focus. And so this almost becomes an afterthought. But if you step back, um, in nonprofits, 25 to 30% of their revenues is spent on buying things and services. In manufacturing type of companies, it can go up to 60%. So if you're looking at a 500 million or a billion or a $5 billion uh, organization, that is a huge amount of money. Um, so it just makes a lot of sense to approach this in a structured fashion with the right talent, the right skill sets and right experience so that you're making sure that you are not spending more than you should and that you're not leaving money on the table because every dollar saved in procurement goes to the bottom line to either return to your shareholders or to use it in your projects and and programs. All right, now our folks are, are most likely not at the billion dollar uh, spend level or even billion dollar annual revenue level. Uh, you know, we have lots of folks who have annual revenues, annual budgets. Let's talk about annual budgets 
in the low to mid six figures. So, but your point, of course, well taken, you know, they're still spending money on buying. You said 25 to 30%. Um, they're still buying things. They got to buy things, lease things. They are terms uh, associated with all these purchases. And, and we could, uh, we could be doing a little savvier and and as you say of course putting money to the adding money to the bottom line so the first thing i want to talk about is something dear to me because uh, professional fundraising relationships you you know people don't think of this in terms of buying like you know i need a i need a case of paper i'm going to run to the staples or i'm just going to click and you know click and buy and it'll i'll have it in a couple of days uh talk to me about relationships with with your your vendors how how this is beneficial how to build them up why not just buy it as you need it help us out with relationships sure and uh, that's that's a really great you know uh, starting point on sourcing and procurement um because it's one of the things that even a lot of mature sourcing organizations don't necessarily focus on uh, and i think Having strong relationships adds a lot of value. Um, the now you got to be a little careful, uh, obviously, about spreading yourself thin. So you want to identify who are the key suppliers with whom you want to invest that time and effort to build the relationship. These are typically suppliers that are providing either services or commodities that are core to what you are producing or delivering to other people, to your customers, right? And managing those relationships is, is not different than, frankly, managing good relationships even within your company. So when you run into supply chain constraints, when you run into, uh, you know, inflationary markets, you can depend on your supplier because of your relationship to be able to put you on the top of their list versus a purely transactional sort of relationship. So when you look at your entire supplier's landscape, what I generally recommend doing is identify that, go with that 80-20 rule and identify maybe your top 10, 15, 20, depending on how many, how many suppliers you have in your supply base as your strategic or constrained kind of suppliers. Okay, and so, for, a lot, for a lot of our listeners, that may be just five. Sure. You know, there may there may be ten vendors overall, and they can identify three or five where they're spending. You know, I guess you're spending eighty percent of your money on, on with twenty percent of your vendors, right? Is your point exactly, exactly, exactly. Okay. And you want to build the relationship with them. Recognize that the supplier sales guys have a great visibility into your organization, right? They are there to sell you stuff, right? But they are also bringing their expertise and knowledge in the products and services they're selling to you. So by having a good relationship, I like to say, you're kind of creating a disproportionate mind share from the supplier because you can use the suppliers, you can leverage the supplier's expertise to create value for your end customer. Okay. And that's an area that, that many, many companies do not take advantage of. And I'm a big proponent of building strong supplier relationships because they bring a lot to the table. Right. I okay. did not have to invest in expertise. I could depend on the supplier to bring that to the table. Let's uh, let's make this concrete with uh, an example. Let's take a 
let's take a, a soup kitchen and a, and a food bank. So food is their primary expense, um, maybe aside from labor. Let, let, we're, putting, we're putting labor costs aside. Uh, I'm sure they have a lot of volunteers in this hypothetical organization, but you know, labor may still be, a, uh, but in terms of what they're procuring from the outside, let, let's say it's, you know, it's, it's food. There's grocery items, there's produce, which uh, you have spoilage issues. Um, and let's say they have some, uh, they might have some trucks to maybe pick up food. They might have relationships with uh, some, some supermarkets, some restaurants that they pick up food on a, you know, on a probably daily basis. So maybe gas, uh, gas insurance on the trucks, uh, maintenance on the trucks, you know, those may, so let's say food, gas, maintenance, those are their, uh, in this organization, those are their three top vendors, uh, with food being the, the predominant one, the number one. What, what can I expect from my, my grocery and, and produce and dairy suppliers that vendors that they can, they can help me with? Sure, sure. So if you think about food, uh, think about a situation where you've fragmented your food purchase amongst a lot of different suppliers, right? And you're approaching it transactionally. Then you are exposed to kind of whatever the pricing is. If the food is, if that particular sort of food is available with that supplier, he or she is going to decide who they want to sell it to, mm. right? Versus if you have a relationship and you've consolidated this bank, one, consolidating the spend leads to lower pricing because now you have volumes, whatever that volume may be, it may be $100,000, right? Versus splitting it between 10 suppliers and spending 10,000 with each and them so, not knowing. So even if, even if some of the items that we buy frequently uh, are more expensive with, with one vendor, it's still better. I'm not saying they're expensive on they're most more expensive on everything, but it, you know, it's maybe some key items. You know, maybe bread is more expensive from them than somewhere else, but their dairy is lower. And 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 we overall, they just seem like a better company, or like maybe they're more reliable or something. It's it's better to consolidate and pay a little extra for the what do I say for the bread, but have a relationship versus. Bread being transactional from the the, the 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 baker down the street, and the but the dairy comes from the farm over in, and the produce is coming from uh, from U.S. supply or, or you know whatever these big companies are. So it's better. That's what you're saying. It's better to consolidate, even if yeah. on some of the items you're spending more. Exactly. In total, you'll be spending less, and two, you'll be a bigger customer for that supplier. Yeah. So when you call, they're going to pay attention to you. Right. And if you are connected well enough with them, they may be able to tell you, hey, look, this stuff is going to go up in price two weeks from now. We suggest you place the order right now. So timing uh, of the order can help. Right. They may they're not right. They're not going to they're not going to inform all their customers. Absolutely. not. You know, they may have a thousand customers. They're not going to inform all their customers that prices may go up in a couple of weeks. Exactly. Or exactly. they've got something else coming. You know, they see a shortage coming in something that you buy often. They're not going to be able to, they're not, right. They're going to do that with the folks they have a relationship with who are their, their better customers, their bigger customers. Right. And they may show up on, in time when you, when you actually need something urgently. They may actually go out of their way to deliver that to you quicker, faster, cheaper. Yes. You get, you get favored, right? You'll get favors. Okay. Okay. Yes. yes. 
the relationships. And exactly. so should we, uh, you know, like, should we uh, try to have meetings, you know, uh, instead of doing this all online and ordering and face, well, you're not going to build a relationship through online clicking and shipping, but instead of just phone uh, or, you know, probably phone with most vendors, should we, should we have meetings? I mean, get meet face to face, you know, when, when you're in town, please come by, things like that. Sure. I mean, you can, you can get as sophisticated as you want, or you can keep it simple. Uh, but absolutely having that face-to-face -face meeting, that connection with your supplier helps a lot because always putting a, a name and a face together, meeting with them, uh, that forms a bond, you know, sure. and, and people ultimately want to work with people, right? If I'm just a phone call or I'm a website, uh, you know, who cares? Right. Why would why would you go out of the way to interact with me if you don't know me at all? However, if you and I meet for a coffee every now and then, we could discuss business then. That's the objective, right? I could be talking to you in those meetings about how much I've spent with you, what are the kinds of things I'm buying. And you may come back and say, hey, look, here are some alternative commodities that, that are coming down the road that might be better suited for your needs. They may be priced less. So you get an insight into things that otherwise would not be available if you treat it as just a transactional purchase. All right. And again, this is, you know, this is your top, your top spend vendors. Correct. Not this is not every vendor. This Correct. is your top three, maybe, or so, something like that, where you, you see you're spending the bulk of your money. All right. The relationships. And you know, what you just said, we could have been talking about uh fundraising. We, yeah. we could just as easily have been talking about fundraising relationships, what you just said in the last minute or so. Um, all right, the relationship. So that leads to, and you know, we, we talked about consolidating, consolidating around the vendors that are, that are, I guess, well, how do you, how, I suppose we are, uh, let me ask you this, suppose we are pretty fractured in our, in our buying of food. How do we pick which vendor to consolidate around? I think first you want to get, a view into what's your supplier landscape. So who are you buying things from and how much are you buying and what are you buying? Right. right? And let's say you talk about, you, you pick a particular category and typically we categorize these. We build categories for each of the different types of spend that we do, big categories, right? So food, gas, maybe within food, you may have categories that could be, you know, that could be meat, that could be uh, vegetable, that could be something else, right? Yeah. Uh, just depends on how large your operation is and how you want to categorize it. There isn't a, 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 a straight answer for that, but you'll have to figure out what's appropriate for you. So you build that category and then look at who are the suppliers in that space. Typically, if you have never done a competitive bid before, we generally recommend go out and put out an RFP, which is like a request for proposal to say, look, uh, Mr. Ms. Supplier, this is the kind of product we want to buy, right? These are the specifications. These are the deliveries that we need. And this is what we think we are going to be spending overall from a quantity perspective annually. We'd like you to bid on this. So you get bids from different suppliers. Look at yeah. the bids, see what, the, what kind of supplier this is, call them in, talk to them, and pick one and contract with them on an annual basis. Listeners, I just lost my internet. So Kamara and I got cut off. And so now you hear that uh, my sound is not anywhere near as good as it was. 
with my nice uh, studio mic because now I'm on my phone. Maybe our soup kitchen and food bank could do an informal RFP. Like, you know, we, we project spending $50,000 on and, you know, uh, what, you know, over this, you know, like so much per month or, you know, so maybe, maybe we could do this in an email that is not as formal as a, as a full RFP. Yeah, absolutely, Tony. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't want people to be scared off by, you know, these jargon type of things like RFPs and RFQs and all. They can be as complex or as simple as you want it to be, right? I mean, just think okay. about it this way. If you okay. were to go to buy a car, you'd probably go to three dealerships and ask for quotes. What you're basically doing is an RFP. You have in your mind what kind of car you want, what specifications, and you go and look for it, right? That's exactly what an RFP is. But the only thing I suggest is just think about what it is you're buying and to what what are the characteristics that are important to you, right? How much you're spending, maybe an idea of how that spend you know uh, happens over the year. What are the kind of products you're buying? What are the minimum requirements for those products? Yeah, I want it to be absolutely, you know, one day old, or I, I can live with a week old product. Uh, what do the deliveries need to be? You know, I need it yesterday, or I can give you a week's notice. All those things factor into the pricing that you receive. So if you sit and think about what exactly it is you want to buy and how you want to structure your spend, that's an RFP. You could do it in one page or you could do it in a hundred pages. Okay. Okay, cool. And that, that car buying analogy is perfect. So you're, you're right. As you're shopping around to three different dealerships, there's your RFP. Okay. Very good. So along with consolidation, you have, uh, there's some, well, there's something called group purchasing organizations or GPOs. How can we, can we find these or do we create them ourselves or what, 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 what flesh this out for us? Okay. So the GPOs um, have been around for, you know, several decades. Uh, they really started in the medical industry. Uh, so small hospitals and clinics and all decided they didn't have enough spend individually. So they like to get together and, and combine their spend. So then they had more power to negotiate and then go and talk to these big medical providers and put contracts in place with them. So GPO started in that space. They've expanded now into other areas, like for example, restaurant food supplies. There are several GPOs that cater to individual small restaurants. So if you started a restaurant, you would go to one of these GPOs and sign up and become a member with them. Um, early on in the early days, they used to charge you a membership fee. Now, I believe many of them do not, right? And then you have access to their contracts and the prices they have negotiated. Now, what you miss in that is you don't have a direct one-on-one -on -one relationship necessarily with the supplier. However, yeah. you have the choice, uh, you, you have the ability to kind of take advantage of the GPO's pricing and contract terms. So uh, for a lot of your spend, again, if you applied the 80-20 rule as, as a nonprofit, you may say, look, 80% of my spend is with these 10 suppliers and I want to have uh, you know, direct relationships with them because they're extremely important to my 
to my services. However, the other 20% of the spend is with like 500 suppliers. I would rather go to a GPO and just kind of pick up uh, the best prices that they can offer, right? So there are some GPOs now, I believe the medical GPOs are also expanding into non-medical areas, right? And then there are some GPOs that cater only to, you know, the broader manufacturing and other service type of organizations. Uh, so nonprofits can certainly go and sign up for them. You can check them out on the website. I don't want to necessarily endorse one or the other on the show uh, because a lot of them have uh, good services. Uh, they bring good capabilities to the table. They actually will help you consolidate your spend and actually analyze your spend to see how you're doing, how, how you're doing your spend and whether opportunities lie to maybe make some changes in the way you buy things. So you can you can kind of rely on their expertise as well uh, to take a look at your spend pie and see what's the best way to structure it. It's time for Tony's take two. I am grateful, very grateful to the many people and companies and nonprofit agencies that are helping me to promote Planned Giving Accelerator for the next class starting in March. Lots of webinars and podcasts, uh, guest spots, and uh, I'm grateful. And I have to shout them out. Got to recognize them. They are Sherry Kwam Taylor, Lawrence Pagnoni. I wish he pronounced his name Pagnoni, but he doesn't. Julia Campbell, Nonprofit Solutions, Hurdle Callahan, Nexus Marketing, Brian Saber at Asking Matters, We Are For Good podcast, NATO, National Association of YMCA Development Officers, AFP, Long Island, New York chapter, Jay Frost, and Responsive Nonprofit podcast. I'm thankful to all these folks for hosting me, giving me an opportunity to meet their audiences uh, give them value, of course, talking about planned giving, and then have a chance to uh, explain Planned Giving Accelerator. If you are interested in Planned Giving Accelerator, it's all at plannedgivingaccelerator.com. Help you launch your planned giving. That is Tony's Take Two. And I'm sorry about the sound issues this week, the delays, and it's slowed down and dragged out. It sounds like somebody's stepping on my tongue, um, but thank you for listening through it this week. We've got Buku, but loads more time. I love the Buku. You gotta. For Spend Wisely As You Buy, with Kumar Kanan. And maybe if we cannot find a GPO around what we're procuring, uh, maybe we can partner with another. I don't. It could be anything. It could be a non another nonprofit, or it could be a company in the. It could be a company in your community uh, or that you have a relationship with. It doesn't have to be another nonprofit that you know that they're buying the same, the same uh, goods that you're buying, the same food you're buying. Uh, maybe you can partner with them and and negotiate, which we're going to get to, negotiate better terms with a with a common vendor when there's 
you're, you're, you're buying more together than, than you are separately. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, I would, I would also add to that and say, you know, think about your big donors. Your big donors are probably sitting on some boards or sit, of other companies that, you know, you're going to them for donations. Why not go to them and say, hey, look, uh, you're sitting on the board of Dell. Why don't you get me some good computers, you know, at a cheaper price or something like that, right? I yeah. think you can access your, your donor base too for that. Yeah, very good. I'll, I'll bet I'll bet for board members, people are hopefully they're savvy and they're, they're thinking that way. But good, good to say, good to say it explicitly. Um, and you know, in our um, in this hypothetical food food bank and soup kitchen that I set up, uh, you know, uh, one of the one of the things they're buying was insurance. So I just want to make the point that this this does not apply only to tangible goods, but services too. You you can have you you should have relationships with your insurers. You can create your own GPO around insurance buying. Right. And this yes. all applies to services as well as goods. Yes. I mean, I, I think the point you make, Tony, on kind of uh, uh, several, maybe, you know, nonprofits kind of coming together uh, and maybe hiring even an advisory firm to help consolidate their spend. Uh, so you can even create an informal GPO. You don't need to put a formal GPO structure in place. Yeah. Um, and and you can take advantage of consolidating your spend. Yes. All right. So let's talk about negotiating. And and you know we're going to lump together. I think uh, you know well, you, you pricing and and payment terms and warranty terms. These all these all fit together. I think under negotiating. Um, but let's talk about just being comfortable. You know, getting comfortable talking about terms with the companies you're spending money with. Right. Um, and, you know, a lot of us are just not comfortable asking, you know, and we tend to take the prices given. Yeah. Right. Uh, especially if it's a commodity type of item, you know, who goes and negotiates at a Kroger or a Whole Foods or wherever you do your grocery shopping? Right. But if you spent a significant amount of money, I would say ask. And that's one of the biggest things that holds people back. We just don't ask. Just going and asking and saying, look, you know, I'm willing to put this much of spend through your organization. What can you do for me? And you'd be surprised at the benefits you get just by asking that question. At worst, they're going to say, no, we can't do it. But the chances are they will give you something of value. Uh, so I think it's getting over that initial hurdle of asking. And uh, uh, if you do that, you know you you can probably uh, get a whole lot of you know additional value, whether it's in 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 the ability to return things if you don't like it, if you bought excess, uh, whether it is getting lower pricing. Uh, whether it's them storing stuff for you free of cost and delivering it when you need it. Uh, so you can get a lot of value just by asking. Excellent. Okay. So yes, don't, don't be afraid. You can, like you said, you're going to be no worse off. Yep. Yeah. All right. So you just brought up some excellent terms. You know, people are not going to think of this. I, I, uh, I, I don't, uh, well, let me, maybe, maybe uh, listeners are, brighter than their lackluster host. 
things like returns, return terms, storage. You know, we're we're short on we're short on freezer space. You know, can you store for for ten days? We'll we'll pay for it, but can you hold it? I mean that those are, I mean that's a simple thing for uh, a a grocery or you know a, a meat uh, vendor to to provide. I mean they probably have ten thousand square feet of of storage space. So mm-hmm. carve out a little bit for our uh, for our side of beef or you know for our whatever. All right, all right. Returns storage. Okay. Uh, let's talk more. You know, pricing, payment, uh, warranty, warranty terms. Help, help us understand what, what's what we could be benefiting from. Sure, uh, payment terms. That's a that's a great you know uh, item of value. Uh, that that you know, uh, good solid sourcing can open up, and and frankly, it's it's not that difficult to get better payment terms. A lot of people don't just don't actually see value when there is real value in there. In the sense of think about this: if you were paying for what you buy immediately versus paying in sixty days or ninety days. There's real value in keeping that money for another 60 or 90 days. Maybe you're borrowing something from the bank, right? Maybe your cash flow is, is not quite you know, uniform and there are peaks and valleys. This helps you build up your working capital. And again, in these cases, I find that a lot of people are don't even think about going and asking the supplier to give them 60-day payment terms, right? If you're flush with cash, different story. You can care less. Maybe the cost of money to use zero. You just pay up. But even there, I would say, ask, if you want to pay immediately, ask for a discount, right? Versus paying in 30 or 60 or 90 days. Yes, brilliant. Right, <laughs> right. People, right. Yeah, I, I think uh, I'm. I'm certainly not thinking of when you talk about payment terms, I'm thinking of price. Give us a discount, but payment over time. Give us sixty days, ninety days, and if we're going to pay immediately, give us give us a deeper discount. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So you this have stuff like you this know two percent, for example, the terms like two uh, percent thirty net sixty, which basically means hey, if I pay you within thirty days, I'll take a, d- a reduction of two percent in the in the price. Otherwise, I'll pay you in 60 days. You know, you can structure a lot of different kinds of payment terms. Keep it simple again. Let's not complicate it too much. Um, just say you'll take a discount if you pay up front. Otherwise, you want net 60 payment terms. So you pay them after 60 days. Okay. You sound like a real insider. You say uh, 2% 30 net 60. <laughs> All right, come on. Well, I'm, you're dealing with a savvy buyer here. Let's, let's talk about two. Let's talk. <laughs> let's talk, let's talk about two percent thirty net sixty. Come on, this is, this is where we should be starting. <laughs> All right. All right. I'm an inside buyer now. All right. Anything else about price or payment terms? Anything else in in that in those categories? Yeah, I I also recommend think about. You may think you've negotiated a price and everybody goes back happy. And then when the invoice shows up, you got three additional items added to it, right? It could be um, delivery, freight. There could be a freight upcharge. Hey, fuel price has gone up. My transporter is now charging me a fuel surcharge, so I'm going to get it from you. Yes. You know, so look for some of these hidden things and 
discuss it up front. That's why having a good contract in place helps. You know, you want to be very clear what you're finally going to pay for that product. You know, they'll put handling charge, they'll put this charge and that charge, and suddenly, you know, you looked at your phone bill, you know, there's like 15 items they've added to it, and who knows where that money goes. And it ends up being 20% of your of your actual, what you thought you were uh, going to pay, and it adds another 20% to it. Um, so, uh, so being very clear about what are these additional items, or making sure that your price reflects what you're actually going to pay, plus maybe a sales tax. So make sure you know who's going to, you know, who's going to, who's going to pay for the freight. Are there any handling charges? Uh, and and for non for nonprofits, they're even they're uh, they're sales tax exempt. Yes. So I mean, that's really not even something to negotiate. That's just correct. Like, that's just state law. You give them your IRS tax determination letter, and they they should not be charging you sales tax. Uh, so, but these, you know, you're mentioning lots of other terms beyond, beyond just sales tax, just making the point that sales tax is just, that's a given. Yes. All right. These are excellent. Wow. Kamar, great insights, great insights. Um, uh, payment terms, warranty. Let's talk about warranty terms. Sure. Uh, warranties, you know, vary from product to product. Sometimes and often the suppliers will will say, hey, this is our standard warranty, right? You know, you buy a piece of software, they'll say net, you know, 90 day warranty, which means in 90 days you can return the product. Uh, but there's a lot more that goes into this, right? So you would want to understand. Now, in, in the case of things like software or products, you know, people may say, you know, 90 days you can return the product, but we will give you a replacement like product. We're not going to refund your money. Right, you need to understand that that's what is going to happen. Right, yeah. if you want your money back, you've got to be very clear that the warranty is money back, and then you have to be very clear about understanding what qualifies as a warranty. Right, is the product defective? Did you open it and then realize it doesn't work for you? Um, they will typically warrant to their specifications. If your specifications are different from their specifications, then guess what? You're stuck. Yeah. It doesn't meet your specifications. So again, this goes back to kind of that whole RFP kind of question. Think about what it is you want to buy and what's important to you, right? And you can negotiate warranty terms if you're able to consolidate and have a large enough spend. If you walk in and say, hey, I just want this for you know $100, they're probably not going to negotiate warranty with you. And you don't want to spend your time doing that either. But if you're going to spend $100,000, you probably want to want to negotiate good warranty terms and understand when warranty kicks in and if warranty kicks in, what's the remedy, right? Do you want your money back? Do you want them to replace it with another product? And if they replace it with another product, do you want to make sure that that product works? So think about warranty as something that gives you protection um, that what you are wanting to buy is actually delivered to you. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, what else? I, I don't want to let you go yet. <laughs> what, what else can we talk about buying wise that uh, that I haven't asked you about? I think um, when you talk about I, I like to I like to say strategic sourcing. Uh, and within that, I, I'd like to talk about again, we talked about supplier relationships and management. 
supplier relationships is more than just meeting people and getting to know them. It's understanding how they're actually performing in your environment, which means kind of having the data to understand your spend, you know, if they were delayed, if there were late deliveries, if there were spoiled goods, having that data to have a really robust conversation with your supplier and to make sure that, that they perform to what you expect them to perform. And if they don't, there could be penalties. So managing your supplier's performance can be a, a, a can require a little bit of effort, but it tells the supplier that you are serious about how they perform for you. Right. So the just, just by right, just by opening the conversation, you're you're letting them know that that you have standards that that you expect them to to meet. Yes. Yes, and tracking those standards. So having data. Um, the other thing that's valuable now is using technology. So really, the underpinnings of all these, whether it's strategic sourcing and you know supplier management, the underpinnings are really three things: people, process, and technology. Right? Having the people who have the skills to do this kind of work, uh, having processes that are repeatable and not just ad hoc so that everybody knows how this process works. And frankly, having good technology, and today there's a lot of technology available that can at least automate and make life easier uh, for the people who are doing this kind of work, right? There are simple subscription software that can help you uh, do your sourcing much more efficiently that can make your organization look a lot more professional when you're going to suppliers. Uh, and that can help, uh, that can provide the data for you to analyze and look at what your spend looks like. So in a lot of cases, I find people don't even know what their spend actually looks like. Yeah. What, this, uh, the, the technology, uh, are there any platforms that you can name that not necessarily endorse, but I'm not sure if folks are familiar with procurement software applications i would um there are uh, there are lots and lots of you know sourcing uh software available tony what i recommend is uh just google for uh gartner's magic quadrant gartner is is as you know you know uh, this advisory firm consulting firm that does a lot of work in 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 the technology space and uh, they uh, they publish a, a magic quadrant where they identify the top dozen, 15 supplier technology suppliers in a whole plethora of different uh, spaces. And out of that, you can actually pick and, 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 and drill in and see, uh, you know, who those suppliers are, what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, and then you can decide which three you want to talk to. So I would say start with that Gartner Magic Quadrant in the space in which you're interested in, uh, in the technology that you're interested in. Cool. Okay. Uh, the Magic uh, Gartner's Magic Quadrant. All right. Um, all right. Leave us leave us with something else. This is incredible. You know, I don't think people are thinking about this at all. Uh, I, I'm you know, sophisticated. You know, strategic sourcing. Which I almost put you in jargon jail for, but you were 
you flushed you flushed it out. So I didn't feel you you deserved to be sentenced to, to jargon jail. Um, I'm glad. Thank you, Tony. Uh, you're 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 welcome. You're you're helping us. So we 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 take these things in cooperation. We have a cooperation agreement. You're, you, we kind of we flipped you. We picked your brain. Uh, we we flipped you to a, a cooperating witness. So no no sentence. What else? Uh, any anything else? Anything else you can leave us with? Uh, around the relationships or the consolidating or being strategic, then all this negotiation that we talked about, what else can you leave us with? Um, the, the thing that, the one thing that I'd leave you with, or maybe a couple of things that I would leave, leave you around. Sure, go ahead. Go ahead. Is um, focus on sourcing. Uh, make sure that you're actually paying attention to it because a lot of money could flow out the door and you don't even know it. Uh, number two, uh, as I mentioned earlier, just to recap, look at sourcing as these as strategic and as supplier management. Two big buckets. Strategic is what you buy, how you buy, from whom you buy. Supplier management is about once you've decided you're a supplier and you're, you, you, you know what you're buying, that the supplier performs the way you want them to perform. And the underpinnings of these are the kind of talent you have, the kind of processes you have, and the kind of technologies you use. Think about this landscape and uh, make sure that you have the talent available to focus on each of these areas. You don't have to boil the ocean, right? Pick on a couple of them, consolidation to drive value, negotiations. There are lots of great uh, negotiation training courses available. Develop your talent, you know, give them the skills, tools, and abilities uh, to do the job more effectively for you. And I think at the end of the day, you will find that it adds a lot of value. It streamlines your processes and you don't have to run around with your hair on fire because of emergencies. Now, those will happen, but you'll be better positioned to manage them. And having good relationships with your suppliers uh, will, again, make it much easier for you to manage those ups and downs and emergencies that are bound to show up. Kamar Kunnan. He's K Kunnan, K K A N N A N, at procuralservices.com. The company is at procuralservices.com. Kamar, thank you very much for sharing all this expertise. Thank you for having me, Tony. It was a real pleasure. Oh, thank you. Next week, Eric Saperston returns by popular demand. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you, find it at TonyMartinetti.com. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Scotty. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great.